love the generative moment during a really deep talk when the world falls away and you forget time and place. A really engaging conversation can do this. I've always had listening as my superhero power. I think listening helps build a great conversation. Real listening is done with an open curiosity and very little of your own agenda. It may sound easy, but it can be really hard to do. I like to make connections between ideas and people. Why do we connect with other human beings? I think it's part of the hierarchy of needs. Comfort, connection, community. I don't like the question, what do you do? I don't equate what you do with who you are. We all have multiple interests, passions, hobbies, families, backstories, and futurescapes that make us who we are. Every interaction changes us, some in big and some in small ways. I hope this podcast changes you. I'm excited to talk to this next guest. Uh, Sharon Centillo is a mother. She's a grandmother, an artist, educator, writer, traveler, and a community arts advocate. She taught art in public school for 27 years and in 2011 was named Massachusetts Art Educator of the Year. She truly believes we are all artists and writers and that creativity is inherent in what it is to be human. Since leaving full-time teaching, Ms. Centello has dedicated her life to family stories, both sharing her own and encouraging others through her workshops, family stories through art, and family photos, family stories. Ongoing research at Emory University is showing one of the most important things we can do for our young people is pass on family history. Ms. Centillo encourages people to ask questions and collect family stories through conversations with living relatives, neighbors, and friends, and to also write their own stories. If no one records these stories in three generations, they're lost. Don't wait. You can find Sharon Centillo at www.sharoncentillo.com, which is S-H-A-R-O-N-S-A-N-T-I-L-L-O. That's SharonCentillo.com. Hi, Felicia. Hi, Sharon. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for all your flexibility and um, uh, letting me loop back with you so many months after we had originally had a conversation. So. Oh, no problem at all. I think, as you know, with COVID, everything gets mushed around. Totally. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk to you today. I did read your bio previously and recorded that as an intro, but um, just as a way of talking about yourself, do you want to say something? Like just introduce yourself? Surely. Oh, my name's Sharon Santillo, and uh, I am an artist and a teacher, and I found out also that I'm a writer. And I have been devoting these last years of my life to family stories, helping people save their family stories, and also uh, writing down my own family stories. Which is amazing, and that is definitely the topic that we're going to cover today in this podcast. And just by way of introduction, my name is Felicia, and I'm the host of Felicia Ryan. I'm sorry, I'm the host of Hi Felicia. I was like starting to give my full name there. I haven't done that smooth transition into who I am in a while now. Um, you and I met because we did a collaboration through the writers group I belong to here in Malden called the Malden Writers Collaborative. And we were um, collaborating with us. Is it a sketch group that you belong to or? Yes, uh, the Malden Sketch Group is the longest run. As far as we know, is the longest running um, drawing group in the Boston area. It's what? been going for over 25 years. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize that. And yes, and go ahead. It, it was a, a pleasure to collaborate with your writers group. The um, artists that participated loved it, and they loved the writing that your group did in response to our artwork. Yeah, it, it was, was really fun, and we hope we hope we can do the reverse. 
I, I, I'm, I've been hoping that as well. We, so last year, just so folks understand what, what the project was, was your group put together, it was a selection of eight pieces of work or was it more? I think, I, I think it was around that number, maybe, maybe seven. Yeah. And so they were all different types. Some of yours, your piece I remember was collage. There was watercolors. There were pastels maybe um and some oil paintings oil paintings and um oh, they were just amazing and landscape still life portrait it, yeah. it was a variety yeah huge variety and then we were asked to respond to them with short shorter pieces some people wrote short stories other people wrote poetry um and we were even we were um Totally excited by the idea because we use prompts as part of our um, our exercises in between uh, the different workshops that we do. So it was, um, yeah, having having something visual to respond to was really interesting in crafting a story or crafting some writing. So I think that fits so well with the topic that we're going to talk about today. But I love the idea that we're going to do it in reverse now so that we'll each prepare like different, a variety of different types of writing and your group will get to respond to them with some visual art, which will be really amazing. I know we're excited about it. So tell me about how you came to um, storytelling through art. Well, um, uh, two things. Uh, I, growing up, my mother had so many regrets. After she lost her parents, she had so many re regrets of the questions that she'd never asked. And I thought, well, I'm going to ask her questions. So when the time comes that I don't have these same regrets that she does. So as a as a child, I was trying to pay attention to the family stories. And as everyone, I wish I'd asked more questions. I wish I'd asked my grandparents more questions. You know, it's a, a universal longing we have when we lose these people in our lives. And um, then when I was uh, teaching art, uh, I taught art in public schools for, uh, well, my last assignment was uh, 27 years in the Maynard Public Schools, which I loved. And I was reading about a professor at UNH, Bethel Shansky, who was developing a model, uh, a writing program based on art. And this intrigued me. And I was reading about these amazing results she was getting, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, this was research based on, you know, testing and uh, it was all research based. But um children who struggled with reading and writing, um, children who uh, English was not their first language, they, it, just across the board, uh, this model was experiencing success and this intrigued me. So I eventually went up and took a workshop with her and I found out to my surprise that I liked to write. I didn't even realize that about myself. I knew I liked art, but I didn't realize that I had this, um, that I loved writing as well. So um, I was so gung-ho about her program. I, she ended up uh, having me be one of her trainers, uh, to training teachers how to use this, because it was developed for children. And I was uh, training, te doing teacher trainings, and I'm looking around the room at these adults using this model of art-led writing, and I'm seeing how much fun they're having, and I thought, why should this just be for children? Why shouldn't this be for adults as right. well? And that's what led me to start my adult workshops using this art-led model. And I focused on family stories because I also was reading about research at Emory University. And um, they were studying, they've, they've been doing research with different groups and it's ongoing but I'll just tell you about this study with teenagers. Uh, teenagers that even knew just a bit of their family history, tested out so much significantly higher in 
character traits like resilience. Wow. And I thought, this is amazing. And I thought, you know, it's hard enough growing up. If we can help kids just telling them some of our stories, that's easy. We can do that. And um, so that was like a reinforcement to save these these family stories. And um, so I've developed, I've actually developed two workshops. The one I've been using the longest uses collage for um, the the art form. And we start out the workshop, just everyone making these crazy painted papers with no expectation what they're going to use them for. Water-based paints and you know, sprinkle salt on this one and crinkle some plastic wrap on this wood and just making all kinds of textures and colors. And then that's the raw material for for the collages. So everyone's loosened up. In the meantime, everybody's talking about their stories that they want to work on. And then we dive into collage scenes of the story and then go right into writing. So people have had a chance to visually rehearse their story, they've had a chance to orally talk about it, and then they write it down. And this makes a very attractive um, finished work to share with family, because it's not just a typed piece of paper. There's actually, you know, art involved, and it makes it attractive. It can be very simply what what I do with my own books. I very simply uh, get them printed at Staples on cardstock so they have a little heft to them and I get them spiral bound and it's very inexpensive I can make copies for everybody and share them with my family and um, I've probably done about 20 little books wow. about my own family and um, my family has them on you know, everybody knows what you know they have them on a little shelf these little spiral bound books and everybody knows what they are and um it, it's been very satisfying to uh, to do myself, and it's been extremely rewarding to uh, run run my workshops and help. I've helped all kinds of people, you know, save stories. People that didn't know they could make art, people that didn't know they could write, um, have been have been able to do both. That's amazing. I love the connection that the thread of the connection that you made throughout this. One of the things that I really liked the idea of that I wanted to pick up on was um, knowing your stories helps build resilience. Um, I find that really fascinating because uh, the, the theme of this podcast is um, creating, uh, um, creating community uh, creating connections through conversation and, and building community. So I love that idea that um, by sharing stories, family stories, your story, story of something you're passionate about, you're making a connection with someone. Um, exactly. And I see this in every workshop. You know, every group starts out as strangers. But once you've shared stories, there are there are bonds. There are common bonds that you know doesn't it doesn't matter someone's background it doesn't matter their age or their gender or race or you know it doesn't matter um we share we share very strong bonds through our stories and it's a lovely thing to learn about somebody having a different background or a different culture um and those things are really important but the things that you tend to come back to are the things that like oh my father was like that or yeah, like you grew up in a totally different part of the world with a different tradition, but my family used to do that too kind of thing. Or, you know, like my mother would save recipes or whatever it was, like that that common kind of human bonds about um, activities or behaviors or traits or personality quirks or characteristics are, are like really the thing that like helps mesh us together, I think. Oh, it, it does. And um, I've had some really interesting, um, very interesting experiences with people from other cultures. It's so precious to me. 
um, I did a, a, a little workshop for young immigrant mothers and um, they had little children like nursery school age children that were in a different room, you know, having nursery school. And the mothers came across the hall and worked with me and they their purpose was to improve their English. But we were we were doing going to do it through stories. So to keep it simple and to use materials that they would be familiar with having young children, we just used a crayon a watercolor resist method. They just drew with crayon and then painted watercolor over it. And if you've never done it, it's magical because the crayon resists the watercolor and you get all kinds of cool effects. So um, I, I wanted to give them a prompt and I had them, um, I asked them to uh, think of a place, a place that had good memories for them and to, you know, just make a simple drawing of that place. And then we would uh, talk about our drawings and do a little writing in English. And um, so they were all busy, you know, every, people, everybody's comfortable with crayons so they were all busy and then they put the paint on and they were enjoying the process and then we shared and um one young woman showed this picture of a, of a walled garden and um it was her uncle's garden and i don't remember if it was syria or afghanistan but um it was a Middle Eastern place where she was from. And as a child, they all used to go to her uncle's garden and the, the parties they had there and the just the feel of the place. It just came through so strongly yeah. with her words. And then she started to cry. And I'm going to cry telling you this because yeah. she said, all those people are gone. Oh. All those people in her family that she used to be with in this special place, they were all dead. And I felt terrible. Here I was trying to bring up a good memory and it was, you know, and I talked to the to the uh, director of this program after and I said how badly I, I felt that I brought up so much pain. And she said, don't. You gave her a place to put her pain She's carrying that pain around all the time. And you gave her a place to put it. Yeah. And I never thought about it that way. And I thought, what a, what a gift we can give each other to listen to each other's stories. Yeah. And you gave because her. Because everyone has stories of pain. And I mean, we all have comedies and tragedies. And, you know, we're all carrying these stories. And it, it's a gift to share them. You also gave her a place to, to beautifully kind of um, capture a memory that was positive of all those people that she had lost. Like you, like you've said in the, in the work that you do, you're, you're trying to capture those family stories before they're lost. So, um, you helped bring out a really beautiful positive memory, and then she was be able to kind of like memorialize it on paper. I know, and to tell the group, I, I was, I was so impressed she could do that. I know. And, and I, I was hoping, you know, when she went and picked up her little child across the hall, you know, look what mommy made, and she'd be able to tell about that place to her child who had not had that experience. Yeah, that's beautiful, though. Wow, what a, you know, what a precious memory that, that um. That was really sweet. That was very touching, too. I'm, I'm glad that you shared that. Um, are you doing any workshops now virtually, or is it, do you? Is, no, I have, okay. I've been, I've been tempted, but I, and I'm working on making a transition uh, to, because um, I, Part of the fun of my workshops is all the stuff I bring. I know. You know, people come, people come into the room and I bought all these materials, all these textures, all this, 
just play and have fun. And, I, you know, I, I have many things the average person wouldn't have at home. So I'm making a transition in my workshop, and I'm excited about it. And this, this I hope I can do also online as well as in person. But I'm making a transition to using photographs as the visual prompts. And we're all sitting on piles of old photographs, you know, boxes of them. Plus, our phones are loaded with photographs and our computers. You know, we have lots of photos. But where are the stories? Many of these photos have stories associated with them. And I want to uh, tap into that potential of using the photograph as a, as a story starter. Plus, there's lots of fun things visually you can do with um, photographs. You know, you can just take a pencil and extend a photo out. You know, put, it on, put a copy of a photo on a piece of paper and then just have fun with a pencil. And, and extend out and make the scene bigger. Um, just with packing tape, you can make photo transfers with copies and, you know, put them on colored background. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of fun techniques with image transfers. There's just, there's a lot of potential to this. So people would still have the, the you know, the fun of doing, doing some artwork and, uh, you know, reacting to a photo and telling the stories. Um, one of the things that you had said earlier about um, you had always been an artist, but you never truly thought of yourself as a writer until you had uh, had that experience. Um, how long have you been doing art? What kind of art did you originally start with when you were very young? Uh, when, I, I'm not, I haven't changed much <laughs> from when I was a child. I loved art supplies I would you know line them up on the shelf in my closet and I would go and open the boxes and just look at the colors and you know I still have I still have that same thrill I love art materials of all kinds and being an elementary art teacher I got to do everything you know I got to teach all kinds of you know 2D, 3D work with all kinds of materials. And uh, I was famous in my school district for taking all kinds of recyclable materials. And um, we would turn them into these fantastic art projects. So when anyone had any junk, go give it to Miss Santillo, she'll use it. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, uh, I had quite a reputation. And um, it, it, so I, I just... I just love it all. Now, for for the family stories, you know, we're mainly concentrating on two dimensional work, um, and I and I have found that collage is so so fun. Everybody can do it. People that think they can't draw, they can cut. Um, you don't have to be so precise. You you can just lay it down on the paper, slide it around, don't glue it till you get it to the spot you want it. If you don't like the way it turns out, glue something else on top of it. You know, I mean, it's just so forgiving and, and so much fun that I've concentrated on the collage, uh, you know, in the, in the family stories through art workshop. And, um, and then the family photos, family stories is going to be concentrating more on them. Uh, the photograph as the, as the starting point. I love that um, you are encouraging play with the material. So, or your materials can be playful. Because I think a lot of the times, um, I see this in writing with poetry. People are like, oh, well, poetry is, is, is supposed to be like this. And that's scary and too formal. And I don't know enough about it. And I can't write that way. And where... Poetry is just poetry. <laughs> it can be anything. I know. It can be haiku. And you know, <laughs> yes, and, and that is another fun thing about working with people whose uh, first language is not English. So much of what 
they write is poetic yes. because of, of how they place the words or a different nuance to a word or different combinations of words. I, I find I find it fascinating and, and uh, very poetic. I love that. That's a beautiful um, reframing, too, of somebody might see a deficit there because it's not, you know, uh, correct grammatically or something. But I think of writing and art as breaking rules. So you have to know kind of what the rule is, <clears throat> perhaps. But uh, when you're expressing yourself, it's imprecise anyways. So um, why not take it in a different form or use it, uh, use it differently or um, emphasize a different word? It's, um, it's meant to be thought-provoking. Very much so. And I think, um, you know, people that, that aren't confident in their writing um, can be uh, so uh, apologetic and, you know, and, and they, they just, it's just really rewarding to be able to uh, often, most often, um, I ask when we are sharing and if people are comfortable, I ask my students to let me read. You know, they might hold up their artwork and I said, let me read your words. And I find it helps them so much to hear their own words read by someone else. And um, something that they thought maybe wasn't that great sounds awesome and they're so pleased and you know they have the class support there yeah that's lovely that's a lovely um confirmation too we do that in my writers workshop where um when we're giving our first round of feedback which is positive people pick out quotes or phrases or a passage that they might like and hearing somebody else read your words is very confirming and um isn't it yeah that's very confirming wonderful. yeah I wanted to say that the, the, I related so much to your, you know, you thought of yourself as an artist, but not a writer. I have always thought of myself as a writer, but not an artist. And I took a collage class. Oh, it must be almost 12 years ago now. And um, I went with a friend who was a very talented artist. And um, I said, you know, I'm not any good at this, so I'm just going to try. And it was colors and textures and sewing and magazine things and things we brought and ribbon and paint. And it was messy and there was no. And she gave us a couple of different exercises like, you know, if you're using one side of the paper or one side of the frame to make something, try and do the opposite with the other so that it talks to each other. And I was like, this is great. And every once in a while, I would look <laughs> over at a, my friend who was like very try, like precisely trying to place things to make it. And I was like, oh, and she was like, she was like beads of sweat running down her forehead. <laughs> and I was like, I had glue on me and I like things were falling on the floor. And like, I was like, I was like thrilled because I was like, no, this doesn't count. Nobody cares. <laughs> and at the end, she was like, oh, my God, that's beautiful. And I was like, I know. Thank you. And I looked at hers and, she was, and I was like, that's gorgeous. And she's like, it, it's not doing what I want it to do. Oh, but. Yeah. But it was just a, it was a liberating experience thinking that, oh, I can make art. I, I can, I can do that. Yes, you can. I, I, I would um, urge you to keep going. I do. I have a shoebox of, um, I do word art and I do um, kind of, kind of like vision boards, but they're more, I do them spontaneously. And I like to have like a big piece of um, poster board. So I do almost like a table sized one and, and I take out things that I've cut out previously and it might be color based or image based or um, word based. And I, um, one of the ones that I've been working on recently is a doorway and then as you open the door, as you open the door, it unfolds and there's things inside that. 
Um, but I just like the idea of like you're kind of dumping out your mind the way that you do when you dream and kind of process things in more of a, I don't know, what's the mind mind hand connection there when you're doing collage? There's there's some sort of. Oh, there's a, yes, there's, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of different terms I've heard. Um, and I'm not recalling any of them now, but I know what you mean. It's like an, un- and it, it taps into like un- your unconscious maybe, or? Yeah, oh, definitely. And and there's also something about um, doing things with your hands um, that in, create sort of a space in your brain, a creative space in your brain. And um, they, there's research on that, how it enhances uh, linguistic fluency and all kinds of things you know different terminology but but there's definitely that that connection to working with your hands and your mind there's a um there's a whole kind of theory of thought too in the writing community about when you write on the computer versus if you take a notebook with a pen and write that way yes and some people have preference for either or or both or one or the other and I, I always feel like my good raw ideas come through the pen on paper, but mm-hmm. I'm a better, I, I use both methods when I'm editing. So I might, I might take that good raw kernel of an idea that I've got on paper and put it into the computer because I find it easier to move language and words around. But then I'll print that piece out and take the pen back to edit and add things and so but I find I do I get different I get different I'm able to listen to different input when I'm doing Mm -hmm. pen to paper yeah I I I know what you mean I I think I tend to um, write down my story ideas you know, just make a list in a notebook, just very briefly, you know, my my memories or some story that I want to write. But then when I come to the writing part, you know, I go to the computer. I love that. And when you're, do you do any collage on the computer or is all of your collage by hand? It's all by hand. Uh, I, I haven't, I haven't found a proficiency with um, working with those artistic elements on the computer, I I love just as you described the messy part. I love that, Felicia. Yeah. I love I love my piles of papers and I love my scissors and glue and the mess and sliding things around. And I know that I know there's people who do beautiful work digitally, and I I think it has just as much value. But for myself personally, I, I, I like my hands on. The um, the piece of work that we collaborated on where you did the, um, I thought of him as a gentleman, but he could have been any gender really, um, was so interesting. I was really curious. I turned it into, I t- when I saw the piece, it's, um, I, I will put it on the website so that people can see it. Um, I turned it in, 360, so I could see what each of the different um, pictures were and or what mm-hmm. I thought they might be, and tried to use that to kind of inform what I wrote about. Um, yes, and you were very successful. Tell me where they came from. Tell me about that piece. Um, most of that piece was done at the Malden Sketch Group. It was done for a model, and he he was a male uh, that day. And um, most of my um, papers that I use when, and I'm the only person sitting there <laughs> making collages. Everyone else is drawing and painting. But anyway, um, I for my raw materials, I use the free newspapers, you know, that you could um, pick up at the, you know, when you're leaving the supermarkets or, uh, you know, the stacked at the giveaway stacks at the library, whatever. So that those those snippets of paper all came from free newspapers. 
really. Like I, oh, I, I feel like there was one that was gardening. Like, I'm not sure. I th- was it something to do with gardens? I felt like there was gardening. Oh, it could be. I'm I looking have for to, it. I have to look at it again. And then and, there was um, fishnet tights in some, or what? Something that looked like fishnet tights. That was from the back of the newspaper, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. You know those back pages. I know those back pages. Yeah, that was so cool. Yeah, so I... I, I don't, in my family stories work, I don't use newspapers. And obviously, you know, those quick little collages in and that I've done, you know, working for a model or, you know, they're all quick and obviously they're not archival <laughs> from newspapers, but I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm working quickly and I, I'm working in a sketchbook and I find the, uh, the sketchbook paper that I use has some tooths to it and the newspaper has a little bit of tooth so I can quickly use a glue stick and and stick things down. So it, it it works for me in that way. But, um, you know, my, my collages for the family stories are, uh, I'm not saying I would never use a little piece of newspaper in a collage, but generally I'm not using newspaper then. The, um, the title of the piece is called Sharky and Dude by Sharon Centillo. And then I titled my I call it loosely a poem. Um, it's called Lucky. Um, yes. I'll read it after, but uh, I loved. Oh, good. I loved the. Um, yeah, I loved him as a character, and I had so much more I was going to put in there, but we we wanted to limit our word count so that we weren't, you know, creating huge pieces back and forth. But oh, it, it was perfect what you did. The. Um, has there ever been something that you've created in a family story or a family story discovery that really surprised you? Uh, my own work or, or yeah, my students? Yeah. Talk about your own or work. Or my students. Yeah, talk about your or own my work. My own work? Yeah. Um, I can't think of any. Uh, big surprises. I think. I think the absolute biggest surprise was how pleased my dad was with all these stories. Oh, I love that. And um, my dad died in uh, twenty nineteen. How old was he? But he was 91. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he had a good long life and he had a, not a lingering death. So I, I was glad of that. Mm-hmm. What, he wasn't in pain. So it was, that was a blessing. But, um, my dad was very hard on all of us kids. And it, it, part of it was a generation too, I know, but mm-hmm. like there, there was there was nothing we did that was quite right or pleasing. You know, you come home you with a report card with an A on it. Why isn't that, why isn't this an A plus? You know, he was that kind of dad. He just, uh, you know, nothing was ever satisfying to him. It, and he loved us and we loved him. There was no doubt of that, but he was hard. So, um, I started um, interviewing my parents. I started with them and interviewing them and writing their stories. And um, because they were my oldest, you know, living relatives. And I figured that's a good place to start. And um, and then I went on to do, you know, stories to my siblings. And I've, I've since done many, many many books with many um, different aspects, like food stories. When you talk about recipes, we did a whole book of food stories and some are so silly and funny and some have the recipes included. Anyway, lots of different themes. I love that. And my dad 
loved these books. He could, he, anybody he could buttonhole, he'd tell him about my workshops, he'd tell him about my books, he'd drag out the books and show them. And um, it was astounding how much pleasure that gave him um, to, at the end, you know, in the last years of his life. So I'd say that's been the biggest surprise. I think that's beautiful too. And it was a recognition of a pure expression of pride, it sounds like, but also perhaps you were like, there was uh, the skill and talent and beauty involved in it, as well as something you were giving him, which was so valuable, which was memory. Yes. Yes. And, and, um, yeah, he was just so pleased in many ways. He he's pleased that that I was writing these stories down. He was pleased that I was gathering them. He was pleased that I was making books. He was pleased I was giving workshops and helping other people do this. And yeah, there just wasn't anything about it that he didn't think was terrific. I love that. <laughs> and when you've had when you've had a whole life of never quite living up right. any of us it wasn't just me right you know my siblings too it was it's pretty astounding yeah yeah i could see how you'd be surprised by it you're like really this is the thing you're excited about okay i know all right i did have teacher of the year award but okay <laughs> oh, wow it's funny it's very funny but no we had we had uh, a lot of um a lot of shared happy memories those last years with him. That's wonderful. Um, I was going to ask, I think, have you seen a more uh, recent interest in uh, family stories because genealogy and researching family histories and trees and have been coming more and more popular? Um, I, what I find is People into genealogy, now this is just my little narrow experience, people into genealogy are, are so seriously into the genealogy and filling in the boxes and, you know, how far back they can go with it. They aren't so interested in saving the stories. And uh, they might be also very frustrated at, that they're families aren't as interested you know they're doing all this work and all this tracing this amazing you know tracing of the family yeah if they'll say oh my kids aren't interested and and i just i just wish they would um attach these stories yeah that they're uncovering or um i think sometimes i find people are so interested in how far back they can go we're missing the people that are still here. I know. You know, they aren't collecting. I mean, anything I've read about genealogy is is uh, start with the people that are still alive. Exactly. And then work your way back. Yeah, exactly. And um, I went to this, uh, and, and I've, I haven't done any genealogy to speak of. I love it. And I'm fascinated by it, but I haven't done it myself so much. But anyway, I went to a meeting of a genealogical society. And I forget what the topic was, but I remember the speaker, her name is Seema Jane Kenny. And I was expecting to hear, you know, all kinds of genealogy talk. And she started out and she said, you can be a good ancestor if you pay your taxes if you fill out the census, you know, if you do all those things that we all do, people will be able to trace you. And that's good. You can be a better ancestor if you write on the back of your photos, who's in this yes. photo, where was it taken, what year was it, yes. everything. And then she said, this is the part I loved, she said, you can be the best ancestor if you write down the stories 
write down the stories that are connected to emotions. Yeah. And it was like, bingo. And it was like the last thing I thought, you know, I would hear that day at this presentation. But I've always remembered that. Um, and I'm paraphrasing her. Those aren't her exact words. But it was it was good, better, best. You know, good ancestor, better ancestor, and the best ancestor. The One of the shows that I really love is Finding Your Roots. <gasps> Me too. And I love the I love, um, I love the collection of what they know about the family and then how they uncover and discover what's going on. And they give you a little history of the place and the time and the movement of the ancestor. And yeah, well, they're, they're, I am. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just glued to that show when it's on. I think I've seen every episode at least once. I, I do love that um, they do make connections through, like, because I do believe you inherit traits and you potentially inherit characteristics, and I think trauma can be inherited, and I believe. But, but the things that I love in that show is sometimes people will be an artist, a musician, or a politician, and they will have those people in their ancestry <laughs> no. that had those things. Isn't it wild? It's, it's wild. Yeah. I love it. Or there've been an entrepreneur, or um, I've learned so much about African American um, ancestry as yes. well. Where the sooner someone's family is free, or lives free, or is you know deemed free, they are they tend to be have more time to be uh, successful. So a lot of the, yes. the, the African Americans that accumulation are, of wealth, it, it's it's so drastically different, isn't it? Yeah, and it's um, or the access to education, or um, yes, yes, or, yes, or even showing that they knew the names of their ancestors. So their ancestors had were not just the property; they were actually had names. Um, and then how, you know, that tragedy of slavery is that so many of the folks now have they were their original settlers, and they have. Um, you know, Irish, English, Italian last names because those are the people that own them. Um, exactly. And that... But they say in the show that even even to know where your name came from, um, it, just, just to be able to find out yeah. those um, simplest of facts. Um, yeah, I, I love that. So I... I um, one thing that we were able to find out for my dad before he passed was who his father was. He grew up with a story, but he didn't really know who his father was. And um, we all did DNA tests. Oh, this would be fun. And uh, my dad's DNA did not match the story. And um, I, I looked on his list of, you know, um, I think it was on his, the test he took was ancestry. And I looked on and there was like a, there's like a second cousin. That's pretty close. So I contacted this second cousin and, and said, you know, my, I'm, I'm writing for my dad and we see that we're related and we don't recognize your name. And this is where my dad grew up, blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out this second cousin his mother grew up in the same little town where my dad grew up and back and forth and back and forth. And it turns out the second cousin is one of the genealogists on finding your roots. No, really? Felicia, this is very handy when you have a family mystery. <laughs> it's very handy to have a genealogist cousin show up wow. in your family tree. And he's so kind and generous, and he he was able to. Um, we we just he he, uh, he said, "Oh, it's too bad you don't have a brother." And I I said, "I do have a brother, and he's coming to visit from Australia." Well, my brother was so excited. It's like we were also excited. It's like my brother was hardly off the plane when we were doing his DNA. Oh my goodness. On. <laughs> wow. So um, anyway, end of story. 
we we found uh, my dad's paternal side of his family. Oh and my it's gosh, been wonderful. That's amazing. Yeah, that the my my fam everybody's family has stories that are that are um, not shared or not uncovered, and my mom has um, dementia, and um, so she's her stories are. Um, sometimes don't make sense, but she wasn't a great story. She was a great storyteller, but she wasn't an accurate necessarily storyteller um, <laughs> yeah. before. So I'm putting together bits and pieces of things. And um, I had to go through a lot of family records, helping my dad organize paperwork and stuff. And I discovered that my parents were married in July of 67 and I was born in December of 67. So, oh. so nobody ever talked about that. <laughs> yeah. No, that, back in the day, you did not. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just thought, okay, I'd really like to ask somebody about this, but I don't want to embarrass anyone, and I can't ask my mom. I could potentially ask my mom, and she might have something to say and then not remember what she was, like, not remember the conversation afterwards. So I think it might be, I just, I'm dying to know that story. Um, yes. And it also, <clears throat> um, yeah, I just... Yeah. So, and I've done the DNA through 23andMe, and I found all kinds of cousins. My mother, um, my mother's, fa my mother's father and mother were not not first generation. I think they were second generation. My father's parents were both immigrants, so my father was first generation. Um, so there's obviously stories there, and my cousin. <clears throat> excuse me, had done a lot of research on 23andMe, um, and she actually found the ship that my grandmother came on with her mother. So that would be my great grandmother. Wow. That, that is, I, I, I find that so much fun to find out those, find out those little pieces. Yeah. And um, just like, I'm, I'm wondering if anyone was a writer. I'm wondering if anyone, um, yeah, I'm just cu so curious about stories and, and um, how to uncover those. And do you ever have folks in your family story telling um, classes make up stories, like just based on a photograph or your? Oh, people in my workshops? You yeah. Um, I'm sure there's, <laughs> I'm sure there's some fiction woven throughout. Right. All of our stories. But um, no, people are people that come to my workshops usually have a story in their mind okay. that they want to tell. And sometimes they have too many stories and they they uh, don't know what which one to work on. And I, I always tell people, just tell the one that's popping up in your mind. It might not be the biggest story. It might not be the most important, but for some reason, it's wanting to be told right now. Yeah. So, so tell that one. Work on that one. Um, I haven't, not, not to my knowledge, have I had anybody um, not not work on you know what they believe to be uh, a family story. Now, people will. Um, you know, start the workshop and then, you know, depending when I'm teaching um, at, on a location somewhere, or it might be like a week long workshop or a meeting every day. And locally, it's usually, you know, meeting weekly. So anyway, there's time in between and people will sometimes call a sibling to try to get more details about a story. Or something. And they might, they might find out, you know, information they didn't know or, you know, a whole different turn to the story. I love that. And, um, you know, I've had, that's happened many times where people start out doing a story and then they get more information and the story does a big veer, you know, in, in a different, interesting direction. And it, it's, it's fun because like every time we meet as a group, you know, someone's coming in and saying, wait a minute, 
you're not going to believe what I found out. <laughs> and then they've got, you know, more anecdotes to add. My, um, <clears throat> I love, <clears throat> excuse me, I love conversations and I love interview. And um, it's one of the things I, I think that I'm fairly skilled at. And my ex's um, dad was a World War II vet. And when we go to visit, he would, you know, we'd go out in the backyard with a glass of wine or a beer or something and sit in their swing. And he would talk to me and he would tell me about being in World War II in the tank brigade and being wow. in the mud and the muck. And one of his adult daughters would come out who, who was probably about 10 or 15 years older than we were. And she'd say, what was dad talking to you about? And I say, World War II. He was telling me about the tank and the mud and um, the Germans. And she's like, he never talks about that stuff. He has never talked about that yes. stuff. And I said, oh, yes. my God, he's telling me, like, really, really in-depth stories with, like, blood and guts and, like, like very graphic, like, and... I would just listen and I had no attachment to it because it wasn't like my family, but it was fascinating. And I used to say to my ex, like, we should record him because this is, uh, this is amazing stuff he's telling me. Like, this is like, like movie stuff that, that yeah. nobody hears and nobody in the family had ever heard. And I think he just never felt like he wanted to burden anybody, but he was getting on in age. He was, um, you know, he's kind of like had a heart condition. He wasn't sure how he felt day to day, but these stories were amazing. They were so detailed. And I started writing them, a few of them down because they were, they were just, you know, yeah, wild that like, I was there when he was talking about it. Wow. Um, I, I have had that experience where, oh, uh, this has happened frequently where um, if, I, if I'm doing a workshop for um, young people, uh, their grandparents have told them things. Uh, on that like spinning generation, the grandparents will tell grandchildren things that they never told their own kids. Wow, that I have sense. found that frequently. And also, I don't know about if your sister-in-law was resentful, but I've had that experience too, where the 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 parents of the child, you know, that that never heard these stories, had some resentment. A little bit. Their parents, yeah. yeah, their parents were telling the grandchildren stories that they had never heard themselves. Um, not always, but it happened often enough that I remember it. But I think I think there's a couple things that happen. I think if people think someone's really interested and they're really listening it's amazing the stories that will come out if people sense that you're just asking just to be polite and you know, i tell kids if you're interviewing your grandparents put your cell phone away because if you're looking down at your cell phone they're going to think Oh, you're just being polite. They're not really interested and they'll cut the story short. Absolutely. You know, you have to, you have to really pay attention and, and give them your attention to get the stories. There is a, um, have you ever heard of the wind phone? No. Oh, yes. <gasps> so I was, have. yeah, it's that town in Japan and they put it like a, yes, almost yes, like a phone yes. booth. And I have a, oh a my Gosh. I have a friend who has a doctorate in sac sacred art, and uh, she lives in Australia now. Um, but she does a lot of stuff with ancestors, and uh, she does beadwork and really beautiful artwork. Um, but she and I had been talking about creating a wind phone in this area, and she's like, oh, I would totally help fund it. I would work with if you know, if and when she comes back to the States for a visit, she would like to be involved in it. And they actually had a wind phone in, I think it was Truro or Provincetown. Some artists got together and put together a telephone booth-like thing. And I don't, I, I feel like that would be the perfect thing to do for COVID, but it would have to be done in a way where, you know, after people are vaccinated, they could go in and 
and perhaps it would be more like a kiosk where you could record, like sound recording, um, rather than a telephone. But I think the telephone thing is there's something tactile about that. Yes. Felicia, that's something I, I, I can see. Maybe that could become part of Malden Arts Art Line. Maybe yes. that's something we could we could put on the on the uh, community trail. Yes, yeah. I have. We should talk about it offline more. But I love, I just love that idea that you would give someone, you know, a, a few minutes, and they. This is where I'm engaged. We're sp- we were supposed to be married last year during COVID. We pushed the date several times. But one of the things we want to do when we get married in the fall and have our reception is have some sort of sound recording. So with the idea that guests could talk, but perhaps we give them a prompt that they could talk about rather than feeling like they have to wish us happy wedding or marriage or whatever, like give us a memory, tell us a story, give us a memory, um, family related. I hope you, I hope you do that. That's a wonderful idea. Because that, that in itself would be a gift because there would be a variety of uh, generations and ages. We have a matriarch who's in her 90s that hopefully will be coming. Um, and then my parents and even my mom who has dementia, she's still very social and verbal. Her stories don't necessarily connect, but they're still really interesting. Yes. Yes. It, um, dementia is a very uh, broad, it's very broad. And um, I I have found that both my parents had dementia, but a very different type of dementia. Mm. And and I've done some workshops with people with dementia, and it's been astounding, the stories they've been able to tell. I can see that. I could see that. This is uh, this conversation was a pleasure. I feel like we could go on for a lot much longer. But um, is there anything sort of in thinking of wrapping up that you would like to say or that we haven't covered or anything coming up for you that you'd like to sort of promote or talk about? Well, um, I would like to leave you you and your audience with a call to action to um, go to StoryCorps and Family Search and different websites that give interview questions and make up a list of interview questions for different people in your family and um, maybe even old neighbors or uh, maybe even current neighbors that get interview or just um, to reach out and collect those stories while we still have these people in our lives. And um, whether you write them down at this time or not, at least get the stories. And uh, that that's what I would like to leave you all with. That's beautiful. I think you will be very glad you did. Creating connection through conversation. Absolutely. Lucky, a head full of cards and mahjong bets from the night before hang over me. Late nights cascade like a waterfall of regrets into the next morning. I rub my face, trying to figure out the last time I showered. Resting my hand on his warm head, my worries evaporate. Triggering a memory of waking up early and watching mist burning away on the lake, a handful of hearts is no substitute for this kind of love. As I prepare his food, I know he could give a shit, that I grew up in a cult with strange Sunday preaching picnics. He just wants me to sit down on the threadbare couch and pet his belly. He is my noblest beast. I don't deserve him, but I'd be lost without him. Hey, buddy, should I plant my weed garden this summer? I ask him. But somehow that idea becomes less interesting, my body drained of enthusiasm as I pour myself another whiskey and start counting my stash. The warmth flushes through me, and I wonder, can I bet on my hopes and dreams? He sleeps beside me, making snorty noises, watching his feet twitch. I wonder what he dreams about. I get up and leave my sleeping prince and go to the bedroom. 
I slip my hand under my pillow and run my fingers reassuringly over the hard, cold metal of the gun. I tuck it in my waistband of my pants. Now I'm alert and full of electricity like the third rail. Sitting in my dank kitchen, I light another cigarette and tip back in my chair instinctively. I sit with my back to the wall so I can see the room in full view, planning the best escape route if necessary. For now, I'm watching the neighbors across the way having sex in the early morning. I know soon I'll be back to my routine of more smoky nights and bad bets. If I play my cards right, I get to come home to Lucky, my dog. Hi Felicia is produced by Felicia Ryan and she retains all broadcast rights and copyrights to this program. Theme music provided by Stephanie Griffin. Sound editing and technical support by Heather McCormick. Hi Felicia is supported in part by a generous grant from the Malden Cultural Council and recorded in cooperation with UMA Urban Media Arts in downtown Malden. You can find Hi Felicia on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, and most platforms that podcasts are found. Please take the time to like, write a review, and share this program. You are our ears. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Hi Felicia or how to support this podcast or to suggest future guests, please go to www.feliciaryan.com. That's www.f-e-l-i-c-i-a-r-y-a-n.com. And again, thanks for listening. Ten with Yin. It's a podcast created by my friend Yin Kiefer, and she is uplifting women's health one conversation at a time. You should check it out on Spotify.